welcome Dr. Sam Perrick, CBE, Group Principal and CEO of London South East Colleges, uh, who you've just described to us as LSEC, I believe. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, would you like to uh, tell people about what the college is? I do know that it's a uh, say the college it's much more than the college it's a group uh, and it serves an awful lot of people um, how would you introduce it so we um we trade as london southeast education group which is made up of two legal entities so one of those is lsec which stands for london southeast colleges and that's a group of four further education colleges the colleges in bromley orpington bexley and greenwich and through successive mergers with orpington in 2011 and bexley and greenwich in 2015-16 we then decided to to trade as a group of of colleges under the umbrella of LSEC, although legally we are still known as Bromley College. And then we, uh, in 2013, we set up a multi-academy trust when, at a time when Bromley was starting to uh, encourage all schools to academise, we were asked to sponsor um, some of our local schools in Bromley. So we set up London Southeast Academies Trust. Uh, it was originally called Bromley Educational Trust, um, but it's grown now and we have schools in Bexley and in uh, other parts of London and also in, in Surrey now. So together, um, as a combined entity, although our roots are very much in Bromley with Bromley College and the Bromley schools, um, we, we train about 12,000 students annually um, through the colleges and about 1,200 through our schools, which are predominantly special schools and alternative provisions. And we employ, um, again, you know, predominantly in Bromley, but we employ about um, um, nearly 800 staff um, in the college, um, of whom a good two thirds are here in Bromley and um, all, almost 600 staff um, in the school, so about 1400 all told. What courses do they um, have and what careers do they go into? Your students. At the college, yeah. So, so at the college, um, there's a real kind of um, A to Z, really, of vocational sectors. I think the really, really important thing to know is that all of our um, courses are work related and vocational. So, in the college, um, which is post sixteen, uh, we have um, lots of courses for what you call typically six formers. So, lots of um, young adults, sixteen to eighteen, doing all sorts of courses courses from art and design through to business, information technology, construction, engineering, plumbing, uh, travel and tourism, um, also a whole um, health and care, nursing, so a whole range of vocational courses, um, both full-time uh, post-16 but also on apprenticeship type programs and then just thinking back to those original roots of ours as Bromley College of Further and Higher Education we also have a lot of um, people doing um, adult education and higher education so we now offer um, um, HNDs, HNCs, foundation degrees and degrees uh, in business, accounting, health and care, social work, construction, engineering, civil engineering, so a complete um, range of things really, but predominantly I think the one thing that, you know, is we 
we, we, we are known for is the fact that we've got industry standard facilities, industry teachers uh, teaching in the college and um, our whole ethos as an organisation is to prepare our students for working lives, whether that's a career um, um, a first step career for many young people or it's retraining so we have lots of adults come um, who are looking to retrain into different careers and obviously with the pandemic and all of the changes in employment we're seeing a lot more adults now coming in to retrain. Oh, fantastic yeah in fact that was one of my questions I had in my head you know the impact of the pandemic how has that been on the school and the students then you know coming through yeah, well, I mean, I think it's been significant because like um, all schools and colleges, you know, we've had to um, deal with the lost learning and, you know, periods of time where we haven't been fully open. We never actually fully closed um, in the college um, for two reasons. Firstly, we have a lot of young people with special educational needs. So I talked about our schools earlier um, about um, um, two thirds to three quarters of the young people who come through into the college from our schools have got special educational needs and education and healthcare plans. So we stayed open as much as we possibly could for those young people. But also because of our qualifications being very practically oriented, it was very, very difficult. Whereas in schools, they had what's called tags and CAD, teacher assess grades and centre assess grades for GCSE based on course coursework to get a vocational qualification because you have to demonstrate skills so for example if you're a hairdresser you're not going to get a level two or level three qualification um, sitting at home you actually have to demonstrate you've got the cutting skills and the coloring skills and things so so we did have to do quite a lot of work around um, all of the restrictions and things to get our students in to do practicals so it was a very different challenge for us but in that sense you know we, they didn't probably lose as much learning as perhaps academically was done in schools where everybody was doing remote learning because we had to find creative ways and workarounds to help them to come in and do all of their practicals. Yeah, yeah you realise actually that uh, you, you effectively trained up some of the people I most missed during lockdown, e.g. hairdressers. <laughs> in <laughs> Well, I think, you know, it's a much maligned and misunderstood profession with a lot of skill hairdressing. And I always say to our students, the one thing that, you know, if you want a job for life, the one thing you can guarantee is that people's hair is always going to grow. So it's actually a really, really good job. And it teaches you so many other skills around running a business and, you know, paying people's wages. And, and uh, lots of our vocational courses are misunderstood, actually, because people think, oh, you know, you don't have to have a lot of skills to come in to be a, a hairdresser or a motor mechanic. Mm. But what they don't realise is that most of these young people and adults, they go on to run their own businesses. You know, their ambition is to have a hairdressing shop or a chain of them or to have their own garage or to be a manager. And so they come in and do these vocational schools but actually then they progress on to business courses or management courses and you know helping support them with those aspirations and having students going and coming back it's a really really important part of the life of the college and one of the best things about it is an open event that you come along to and, and you find intergenerations you might find you know a dad coming along with one of their children and they trained to be an electrician at the college and now they've got their son or daughter coming wanting to be an apprentice in their business 
business and so they're coming through so even in the sort of 12 years that I've been at the college I've seen some of that sort of intergenerational with some of those skills and trades people coming back yeah definitely hats off to hairdressers it's a new skill I've learned yeah. in my own <laughs> hair and layering yeah. it thank you to YouTube <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And actually, a lot of people have got a bit of skill there and they're quite interested then in, in doing that because it is a, a thing where you can run your own business and be independent. So, yes, there's a lot a lot of interest in hairdressing now post-pandemic. <laughs> uh, actually, I was about to go on to uh, a bit about you. Um, but before I do that, one thing, again, coming back to uh, COVID and lockdowns, did you find the take up of your courses changing because of people pivoting, you know, where they're in one career, but they suddenly find that that career is closed to them because of catering shutting down and things like that. Did the nature of the, the courses being taken up change over the last couple of years? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, in the main, um, it stayed relatively stable, but there were a couple of noticeable sort of um, increases and decreases. So there was a significant increase in people applying for health and care related. So whether that's, um, you know, um, for careers going into the NHS or, or, or caring professions, or whether it's going to looking after children early years and teaching, there was a definite increase. And I think that was both in, both in post 16s and also in adults looking to want to retrain and we ran some programs with people like Oxleys when the you know the, the vaccines um, and the, the need to increase community teams and engagement we did a lot of work on volunteer training volunteers uh, with Oxleys for the vaccine program and that led to quite a number of people saying actually I'd quite like to retrain so we we did some sort of retraining programs to progress people into um, caring and um, uh, nursing related um, work so that was a definite increase um, we saw a slight, we did see a decrease actually in areas like catering, because generally students come to us for two years and then they progress into a job. So the whole um, point about coming to college is because you've got a line of sight to where you want to go in employment terms. And, you know, we, we like to prepare you for that first step part qualified. And so an area like catering, where there was a lot of um, negativity about the profession and there was a lot of um you know um lockdown closures and businesses going bust and things young people didn't necessarily see that as a progression uh into a job so that had an impact um we also had areas like travel and tourism so with uh i mean you know i think it's well known you know i think biggin hill wasn't particularly impacted obviously in our local area because that was business aviation but the domestic and the um so domestic travel and tourism and also um holiday traffic has been and you know with the closure of um, the south terminal at gatwick and obviously the flights and the impact on the airline industry there are a lot less young people wanting to go into travel and tourism so definitely um you know a few peaks and troughs but overall more sort of peaks and troughs really and i think then the, the other dynamic that we're seeing is um quite a few people now post pandemic re-evaluating their lives and looking possibly to 
to change careers or do things differently where maybe they're working from home or their um, do so digital skills are quite important also people looking to work for themselves more as well so you know we know and I think uh, you only have to open um, you know a, a jobs page to know that you know if you're a plumber or if you're an electrician you know you can earn quite a lot of money working for yourself these days there's a lot of people um, and, it, and in some instances very highly qualified people looking to retrain uh, into some of those more sort of technical skills as well so definitely some changes but you know probably not not anything that you wouldn't have perhaps anticipated you are obviously the group principal and ceo of um, the organization and you've been in there for about 12 years if i'm not mistaken uh, what took you into the um, lsec in the first place uh, what, what's your own background Yes, I arrived in early 2010. You can probably tell from my accent, I'm not London born and bred. I came up from the West Country. So um, I um, I left university, um, oh gosh, I can't remember, it's far too long ago now, 1992. <laughs> and I'd, um, um, I'd had quite a traditional education myself, actually, I left university I, and I trained as a HR professional. Uh, and I worked in HR uh, in retail for people like John Lewis and uh, in fact I worked in the John Lewis in Kingston uh, when it first opened uh, in in the late 1980s and I was a staff trainer and I was one of those people in the right place at the right time really because in the early 1990s um, although there weren't many jobs in HR because it was a recession and quite a difficult time I went into training uh, uh, an organisational development uh, in retail and something called NVQs were launched, National Vocational Qualifications. So I became a retail trainer in NVQs and I worked in uh, for, for um, John Lewis doing that work and then I went to work for a training provider that had um, NVQ and apprenticeship contracts in the days of the, the early modern apprenticeships um, in the Thames Valley. And so I worked in all sorts of retailers doing that work. And I then went into uh, what's called the Training Enterprise Council that in those days were managing all of that type of work. And while I was there, one of the local colleges said to me, oh, we need somebody like you to come and manage our NVQs and apprenticeships. Will you come and work for us? So in 1997, I went to Bracknell and Wokingham College as their sort of um, head of training and development and looking after all their apprenticeship programmes. And really through that, that's and I've stayed in FE ever since. So I've been in FE now 25 years. This is my 25th year and I progressed up quite traditionally really through managing curriculum, uh, managing HR, managing staff to the point that I was the deputy principal um, in, in Plymouth. Um, at Plymouth College of Further and Higher Education and um, it's a fairly structured career route um, training to become a principal like it is becoming a head teacher you go on lots of development programs and when I was ready uh, my husband and I we put her we had two young children and we put a dot in a map and we said well we had two my my children were like one and three years old and uh, my parents lived in Devon and my husband's parents lived in Bexley so we said right we can if you're going to go on and become a principal and work all those hours we are either go near your parents or near my parents my husband said and the first job that came up was um Bromley College 
So my husband is Bexley born and bred. He went to Dartford Grammar School. Although I met him down in Devon many years later. Um, we, we knew that we were, had a lot of family up here. Uh, and when I came for the interview at the college, because the college has always, uh, well, for many years now, only ever done vocational courses and not A-levels. It doesn't compete with the schools post-16. It has very, very good relations with our local schools. I just felt I really belonged because vocational education is my sort of thing, really. And, and we kept very much that sort of mantra. Uh, and then obviously I arrived and then we had... Orpington College in that first year was really struggling as a sixth form college so we did the merger with Orpington and on the back of that the two colleges merged and were more successful together and then we set up the multi-academy trust running schools and we've just sort of the job's grown my role's grown and developed really as the organisation has developed quite organically really um, but with a lot of support you know from our local schools and our local authorities and um, yeah we've become a much stronger organization I think as a result so so yeah a really interesting but quite organic sort of journey for me. Well that leads on to the question of course the college has been expanding over time quite considerably um, what next for uh, El LSEC would you say? Well, I think we are, um, we have um, quite deliberately over the last four or five years probably changed tack in terms of who we are because, you know, we are no longer just Bromley College. We are this group of four colleges and, and eight schools. And we thought long and hard really over the last few years about how we can be more than the sum of our parts uh, because we could just be these standalone organisations or we could collaborate more internally or we could use our buildings and our resources and our staff to think about what what more value we could add to our local communities really so we we made a decision about four years ago to to sort of re-establish ourselves as a social enterprise educational organization and we we we've done a, we've been on a quite a journey really thinking about um how we can be more than um the sum of our parts uh, and we um quite proud really of the journey that we've been on because we we established ourselves as a social enterprise we said that our our mission was about really having a positive impact on lives and local communities uh, and all of the constituent you know parts of our students and staff population that, that live in our local communities and so that's really the journey that we've been on and I think in the last two years particularly with the pandemic that's really paid dividends because many of our staff have volunteered and done so many things in the local community that had we not enabled that through volunteering and giving them time to do those things we might not have done it and we we last year we won the national public sector social value leadership um, award which we were really proud of and it was based on all of the um, volunteering and the time that our staff and students have given to our local communities and on the back of that we also launched a FE food bank Friday so at the very start of the pandemic, we started um, FE Food Bank Friday. We started collecting around the local area, and that then translated into over 100 FE colleges nationally joining us on FE Food Bank Friday. And then, as we came out of the uh, pandemic, we started thinking about how do we maintain the momentum around all of this volunteering, and we set up a national program that's now got more than 140 colleges, so more than two thirds of the colleges nationally involved 
in something which is called Good For Me, Good For FE. And we've partnered lots of national organisations that have struggled with losing volunteers during the pandemic. The Scouts Association have lost 14,000 volunteers, that all sorts of national volunteering organisations have lost staff, um, you know, from grassroots football community clubs who haven't got volunteers on the Saturday morning through to, uh, you know, um, people working in, you know, complex, you know, care and other different sectors. And through that work now, we're now really evolving. We give our staff 10 days time to volunteer in local community groups and things. So what we've also found in terms of that, that work is not only is it, has it kind of repositioned us as an important partner to our local NHS trusts and our public sector, to organisations but where our students have not had work experience because as I was saying earlier they rely so much on uh, being able to go and work one day a week in in a local business um, it's meant through volunteering uh, through the pandemic where that's been allowed and supported they've got that work experience that they've needed to help them get the qualifications so it's paid back to us um, so many times over that kind of strategy and that's what we want to do more of really we want people to think about the college you know not just as a set of buildings but as a place people can come together but also where we can go out and have a more positive impact our 12,000 students and 800 staff in the college um, on being more part of the local community That's amazing. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed a post I saw by the local autism charity Casper uh, and they said that the uh, hair and beauty um, part of the college have had their members in and uh, treated them to a very nice um, makeover. So yeah. it's nice to see an example like that come out. Yeah, that's lovely. And so, you know, lots of our hair and beauty students, they go out to local care homes and they do pampers and all of those. Kind of, they're so important and, um, yeah, and really meaningful because our students have to work with, with clients of all ages and those people don't walk into a salon. And if you've got a special educational need or, you're, or a learning disability, it's quite traumatic sometimes to do that. So the fact that we can go out to where they are um, and volunteer and do these things and make a difference, it actually ticks a big box for lots of yeah. our student qualifications as well so it's a complete win-win for us it does and it kind of brings back to what I do and I'm passionate about is the whole mental health and well-being side of things but you know that self-care for yourself but also giving it to others that can't possibly do it for themselves and you're given that opportunity and because it, it plays a huge part you know just by simply getting your hair cut or just having a, a gentle massage and having those young people go in and do these things it's beautiful because it is a sense of purpose as well. It gives them, yeah. Uh, you know, talking about all these amazing things that you um, do as LSET, one of my questions, and this might be quite tricky, is what makes LSET unique, though, compared to anything else? What does it, how is it unique? What's your uniqueness? Why should somebody choose to go there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I think um, one of the things I've always said about um, our organisation is that um, 
we are more than just a college actually so some of the things I've just been describing um, are, are part of the answer to that so um, I, I LSEC isn't right for everybody and you know when I go to meetings with local head teachers my kind of passion is that every young person and every adult has proper careers advice and guidance that means that they make the right choice you know it is the right decision for many young people to stay on at school but it's also the right decision many young people aren't suited to A-levels, whether it's the assessment, you know, methodologies or the subjects. And, and we're not always cited with young people on the destination, you know, their transition into adulthood and what they want to do next. So my real passion is making sure that all young people get the right advice in terms of future careers and education so that we get the right young people in the college and the right young people stay on at school. That's really, really important. But I think that what makes us unique is that um, um, you know, having got through that first kind of filter, um, we are more than a college and we have something called Career Advantage. And what we set out to do for our learners or our students here at LSEC is to make sure that the, that the what their, their experience they get in the college is more than a qualification. So we have something called Career mm -hmm. Advantage. We want learners who come to our college in Bromley and in, in Bexley and Greenwich to have an, an advantage over other young people on the job in the job market we know it's increasingly competitive you know we know particularly post pandemic there are many more young people not in education and training and there are fewer opportunities so we have to work harder prepare our students for working life and yes about that's about their skills and qualifications but it's about much more so we have this wraparound we call the career advantage and it's a program which includes the volunteering it includes you know community work it includes um work ready skills uh, some of the skills you might not necessarily get on your course but they might be digital skills or leadership skills team leader skills things that might help you do other um, other activities it's about community interests and we're trying to make sure that um, those kind of extracurricular activities are much more visible for young people so the, the young person if you're an employer interviewing an LSEC student you'll know they'll be work ready many young people get quite a rough deal I think from employers um, saying that you know they're not ready they don't get up in the morning they don't get out on time well we have a really structured um timetable you know if you if you're expected to be on a construction site at eight o'clock in the morning you'll be expected to be in your electrical insulation class or your bricklaying class at the same time you're expected to wear the trades profession clothes you know you wear a uniform for that trade uh your overalls or your safety boots and if you're a chef your whites are supposed to be clean so we set lots of expectations that are industry standard um, expectations and of course what sits behind all of that is that our staff are industry experts so if you think about what makes a, a learning experience in the college different to say in a school 90 to 95 percent of our staff who teach have worked in those professions mm -hmm. and then they come and do a teaching qualification and teach with us and so um they in, in fe we have something called dual professionalism and so you have to be professionally qualified in your sector 
in order to teach. So if you're, if you're teaching accountancy, you need to be professionally qualified and experienced, and then you get a teaching qualification on top of it, um, you know, and then the same with, with all of the other sectors. So I think that's what makes us unique is the we have these really amazing staff who give back. And, and I have to say, um, they don't come for the money because we often can't pay these staff as much as they get in industry or in their jobs. But, you know, they do get other you know obviously perks and you know um positive things about being part of the college but they um they all give back and you know most of our staff when you talk to them it is about wanting to help the next generation to succeed and we couldn't do our job properly without people you know coming back in to teach from those different professions so yeah look, lots of things there really that, that make us unique and special but also we have a um, a, a lifetime relationship with many of our students so they might come as I said earlier at a young age and do a qualification go and work and then maybe come back and do a management qualification or do a foundation degree and so there's a lot of ongoing sort of alumni relations with our students where they come back mm -hmm. over time and we see them grow and I'm some of those you. I have to say also then come back and teach for us so there's quite a, in that kind of sort of you know circle of life there's quite a few nice stories there about staff who've started as students and then come back and talk that's beautiful because it's also like that sense of uh community as well of where they've been and how they've grown and that gives them that sense of purpose for life as well i think that's absolutely beautiful yeah. you know i kind of want to take back just a little bit because you were mentioning how career advice because i think that's so so important and i know when i was growing up um i didn't have that and the value in that is incredible because we do need to um, have clarity around um, the pros, the cons, you know, where, where our passion lies in terms of that. But with young people in this, how, I mean, do you tackle a lot with, um, as in not tackle in the bad way, but have to talk to parents a lot because obviously parents mm -hmm. have expectations and then the young people come in and they possibly want to do something and it doesn't quite fit in line with, what the parents want for their young their children how, how how do you go about that do you do lectures do you have talks for parents yeah so i think that um the fact of the matter is that by the time they get to 16 17 or 18 they've probably made quite a lot of decisions along that way so so what we do as part of our kind of csr corporate and social responsibilities we try and get into schools at a much younger age so we run something called the children's university which is working with primary schools uh, where they we go in and we talk they do all sorts of different activities and things but we bring them into the college and you know they spend a morning you know learning to bake a cake learning to um, um mend a puncture on a bike all sorts of different things and it's actually about um i think starting at quite a young age um, with young people thinking about careers and uh, parents are obviously a massive influence uh, in terms of young people's lives um so so there's lots of things you can do to kind of open up those conversations at, at an early age um the key um 
second part of that for really is, is is not just working with like the national career service and others who for through whom young people have an entitlement but actually that's not a consistent entitlement so i think with the limited resources that there is going into careers advice now it's very much down up to schools and colleges to do it themselves uh, but to open up to each other so there is actually legislation now that enables colleges to go and into schools and so most of our schools if not all of our schools now allow us to go in and talk about apprenticeships and vocational options and further education and of course if you've been following some of the educational press recently you know that the government is very keen that this kind of um, education education mantra of so many people going to university that that might not necessarily support the UK economy post-Covid with the skills that the economy needs to recover so I think with that in mind it's actually been a really um, helpful sort of climate for us to go in and talk uh, to young people in schools about the vocational alternatives to academic qualifications and particularly when young people are looking at progressing into higher education there are some really good alternatives now like degree level apprenticeships uh, higher apprenticeships that you can do and you know big companies like um, you know PwC and the big accountancy firms they're recruiting uh, even the Metropolitan Police has switched to policing apprenticeships now mm. you know at 18 mm. there are some really really good um, choices for young people which don't necessarily involve staying in um, doing your A-levels and going on the traditional route to university being saddled with all of the debt you can do these other routes where companies are quite dynamically using the apprenticeship levy and things to progress young people into um, apprenticeships with training and they go on like almost like traditional day release that we would have known a few years ago it means they're coming out qualified with with you know a job three or four years work experience and no debt because their training has been paid for by the apprenticeship levy so um, it's not a hard sell actually to many parents uh, these days because the the evidence speaks for itself in terms mm. of where a young person gets to at 18 or 21 after a vocational course now is in many instances you know with significantly higher earning potential and less debt than a young person who's gone through a traditional route now it's i'm not underselling or undervaluing those traditional routes because as i said earlier for many young people uh, and particular professions that's the right route and the right qualification route for those individuals mm -hmm. but i think we are at a stage now where um, because there is more independent careers advice and more evidence that these routes are high quality and work uh, and you you know at the end of that your earning potential is the same if not greater than having gone through the more traditional routes parents are asking more about this as well which is the other thing that's changed so the climate is definitely changing I think around vocational education that's fantastic. Yeah. So coming from a, I used to be a primary teacher. So coming from that sector, it's really, really interesting to see that. So, yeah. 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 And you also touched upon there about um, students not coming out of their education with debt. Uh, and one of the greatest strains on the mental health of young people is that prospect of debt from student homes. Another one is uh, the strains of seeing what's happening on the ecological level. Um, I know Zena, as a mental uh, health and wellbeing coach, yeah, yeah absolutely um, so in terms of um you know all of what you you do at the college how much is 
dedicated or what kind of things do you have in place for the mental health and well-being of the students and the staff because it's very hands-on so we're looking at you know how are they mentally prepared for when they do go out into the workforce well um i mean i think it would be you know um wrong for me not to acknowledge that you know mental health and well-being is a massive concern for us for all of our students and we know you know post-pandemic um you know young people are dealing with more anxiety uh, more depression there are many kind of um you know social um uh, implications really for them of of the pandemic and um, you know a, a lot of adversity young people are dealing with at the moment and and of yeah. course we know that you know mental health struggles affects everybody and everybody they're not just isolated to young people uh you know many of our adults are, are struggling in the same uh, and sometimes those struggles aren't evident so and, and we know that you know it, they're often hidden behind the mask of a smiley face when they walk through the doors of the college so i mean we what you know from a sort of mental health and well-being strategy perspective you know we do all sorts of things around encouraging people to talk about it we have counseling we have welfare teams, we have support workers, we have a safeguarding team, you know, you walk into the college on the back of every door, there'll be a point at which you can, you know, um, go to somebody and, and talk it out. We do a lot of education through our tutorial programmes. Uh, we do a lot of work. If you look at some of the things we put out on social media, we um, try to do things to um, reduce the stigma of talking about mental health so um, as you know it's mental health awareness week you know there's some case studies on our social media this week about our staff and some of our students and how they've overcome those issues and got support um, we're also looking at you know from our staff perspective we've got a big um, push at the moment we need to recruit 24 new English and maths teachers for September and we've decided to offer a four-day working week uh, so um, teach your hours in four days and have a three days non-working non because we think that might help with people's well-being uh, and uh, you know I think lots of people post-pandemic are re-evaluating their lives as well um, so you know lots of things we, we work with lots of agencies I'm sure you probably know you know pressure on the formal referral services like CAMS and others you know it's you're talking about 20 plus weeks to wait and that's too late for many young yeah. people who are in crisis so lots of support lots of sympathy lots more definitely I'd say when I look at our resource budgets we've probably got spending three times as much now as we do on well-being welfare counselling safeguarding support for young people um, but also the other thing we're doing which I think is quite quite important I know lots of schools and colleges are doing we're actually looking at um, ways in which we can support young people to support themselves there are lots of kind of diagnostic uh, and tracking apps that you can get so um, the kind of self-help um, helping young people to become more resilient and manage their mental health themselves yeah. and ask how when they need it is important so we we work uh, in the FE sector with an organization called FICA uh, and we use the FICA app um, um, which is all about um, helping young people they sort of gain points and prizes for kind of things that they're doing well but essentially it's about self-management resilience promoting 
you being able to self-manage before you reach a crisis. And, mm. and, and I think the other thing I would just say on the whole issue of mental health, and this is sometimes it's it's lost a bit, I think, in some of the headlines that have come through post-COVID about mental health. So we know, you know, from having around 10 to 20 percent of young people with mental health uh, needing mental health support, that number's gone up to about 20 to 30 yeah. percent. And we know that there have been, you know, uh, the impact of COVID has taken its toll. But also, I think what we're finding and what a lot of the research is now showing is that um, although some people, some young people did withdraw and have suffered from social and anxiety um, issues, actually, some have gone the other way. And actually, you know, those that had pre-existing conditions, mm. not one of them have worsened because some of them have actually been supporting others, whether it's their families, their friends or others. So they've gone, they call that kind of pro-social sort yeah. of benefits really in that they've been supporting others uh, to improve their health and well-being. And in, 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 in supporting and giving that support to others, they've benefited themselves. So I think, you know, in terms of our volunteer counsellors and support workers and things, quite a lot of young people have become very resilient and actually learned how to cope better with their mental. So we're trying to harness some of that. And you see some of that in our case studies around actually the other side of this, which is let's turn your learning and what you've learned about resilience and coping and triggers and, um, you know, all those different mechanisms that have helped you. How can you help others? And so having young mentors and mental health first aiders and those sorts of things is all really really helping uh, you know across the whole college community fantastic yeah and i think that's something that's so vital and important and hopefully we'll see more of that around other colleges and schools more and more because you know like you mentioned earlier on it you know it's catching things at an early age and then having them have those skills um built in so it becomes part of them Fantastic. I believe you've got a couple of uh, interesting mm -hmm. events coming up that uh, are in the Bromley area as well. Uh, we found one, uh, which is 29th of June, Bromley College Campus Open event. Uh, anything else come to mind? Yep, so that one is to catch young people after they've just done their GCSEs. They might not have gone as well as they thought, or they might have gone better than they thought, and they might want to think about, you know, options for September. So that's the one on the 27th of June. Uh, we've got one coming up this week uh, on Thursday night, which is a recruitment event for staff. So I mentioned earlier on we have um, 24... Um, vacancies for English and maths teachers uh, because um, young people have to retake their English and maths post 16 if they've got a grade three or below um, so uh, we know there'll be a, sadly a lot more young people not doing well uh, at GCSEs this year so that's this Thursday evening looking for people for career changes or uh, perhaps coming out of schools doing that four-day week option that's the other one that springs to mind. Right, I live in Orpington near me is the BR6 restaurant which is uh a training place for people in the uh, catering profession. Uh, have you eaten there? I have, and uh, you know, it's been as you would anticipate a little bit of a stop and start um, uh, endeavour for us having a, a training restaurant during COVID. And uh, when we reopened, there was also a flood in the centre of Orpington, so we opened and then we had to close again, unfortunately. But yes, uh, I mean, every time I'm in Orpington, I eat there. It's a fantastic restaurant. In it pre-COVID times, I think it was the number one on TripAdvisor, but we've not quite got that up and running yet again because of our sort of stop start. But 
but we have the bakehouse which is the um uh, where you can go for coffees and cakes and breakfasts and afternoon teas and things and then we have the training restaurant which is more a la carte for our higher caliber students but yeah it's uh, it's something that we're really proud of and that's been open now for about six years uh, it was one of the things i was talking earlier about you know a levels versus vocational when we took on orpington college it was doing a levels but not really competing well with the school so we we did over two or three years phase out all of the A-levels and, and replace it with vocational courses. And we felt particularly in relation to our role within Orpington Town, and it was around the time that Orpington was just setting up the Business Improvement District, we thought actually we could you know, help with training young people to come and work in these businesses and also uh, in providing you know, a, a fantastic town centre training environment where our students could learn. So yeah, we've been, we're quite proud of uh, BR6. Um, just one quick clarification for our listeners. Uh, we refer to, to two different dates for the Bromley Campus Open Day. I've just checked. It's definitely the 29th of June. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, right then. Um, yeah, do you fancy going to the restaurant? I do. I was just about to say that. I haven't been there. Pass it by all the time. But oh, yeah. Never gone in. Yeah, we will invite you definitely and then you can do do us a nice trip advisor review afterwards we say there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing such as a free lunch if you come to lunch with me you have to give us a lovely review afterwards absolutely <laughs> and no, we no, promise no, it no. won't be artificial because the food is excellent the service is wonderful uh, we use all local produce and it's a fantastic menu so we can guarantee yeah. that it won't be a fake review it'll be a genuine review Oh, right. right. Um, I'm going to have to open up my diary next week, maybe. <laughs> in this case, I'm not including the food at the BR6, even if it might qualify. But what would you say is a highlight or two of your uh, tenure uh, in your job there? Well, most recently, um, a couple of years ago, we we won the Queen's Anniversary Award for education. So that was a fantastic accolade for the organisation. And that was about bringing together over 100 years of having delivered um, training to support the growth of the construction industry and the housing sector in London. So that was a real um, moment of pride for all of us because it was bringing together all of the collective achievements mm. of all the colleges. But the one for me personally that I think I, I've probably tracked for a long time and I really feel uh, I see every day the impact of is really the work that we do around special educational needs so we made a decision as a college that we were going to work much more collaboratively with our local special schools when we uh, when the government changed the um the funding and the, the 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 regime around special education it moved from something called statements which you will have heard of i'm sure in schools to something mm -hmm. called education health and care plans mm -hmm. and bexley and bromley were a pilot back in 2013-14 for this new mm -hmm. education health and care plan which um, support was a plan to support a young person and their family from the age of from birth through to 25 and over the 10 years that it's now been since that that sort of scheme was implemented that's um, what we've seen is our working relationships with special schools really evolve so that's how we have eight special schools in our multi-academy trust because all of those schools you know most of the children progress through into the college but over that 10-year period we've worked really close with children and families and our local authorities to, to see um, 
that a young person has a line of sight from, uh, you know, the time they start school through to where they're going to be at 16 or 18 or 25. And I think if you're a parent of a child with a special education need, yeah. although you have to fight hard to get what you want for them through the education system, the greater worry is where where do they go when they leave education that you don't want them going into um, a residential setting or a daycare setting you want them to have economically sustainable and active lives and we have a fantastic SEN team at the college and it's you know in, in Ofsted terms it's outstanding but in in, in um, transition terms it works really well with um, all of our schools and make sure that young people with special education needs get the education they need uh, post 16 to move into adulthood and our SEN centres in the college they're called Nido Valans centres and often people say to me who was and I came up with that name and they said who was Nido Volans so I said well actually it wasn't the person I thank my husband and his education at Dartford Grammar School for this and his Latin because he came up with it and Nido <laughs> Valans is Latin because he had to do Latin in those days for yeah. flying the nest and it says everything mm. that we want to say about the young person who is gifted to us in the college and that we help on that journey through to adulthood uh, with all of the special you know, gifts and skills and challenges that they have. And so we have about a thousand of our students now are, have special educational needs. And you know, the, the vast majority of those now progress into supported internships. We've got a fantastic programme with, with running with the Princess Royal Hospital in Kings where they um, they go there and they they employ most of the students through the courses there mm -hmm. uh, in um, you know fairly um, you know routine jobs that could be sterilizing equipment in the laundries or whatever but the idea that a young person with a special educational need is only good for collecting trolleys in a supermarket is those days are gone and I'm really proud of the work that our team's done on helping young people with special education needs progress into jobs and on into education we even have some going on to do degrees and higher qualifications so probably overall I think for me personally in terms of where that where that work was and where it is now I'm really quite proud of that that's amazing I think that's the massive also the massive unique selling point of uh, LSEC isn't it what you've done you. there it's incredible yeah. amazing well, where can people look up LSEC and how should they get in touch uh, well, if they go onto our website, um, that's probably the uh, the best thing to do, www.lsec.ac.uk. But we're very active on social media. I had a message from a member of staff today saying they didn't think we were doing enough on marketing uh, for next year. And, and I spoke to our marketing team and they said to me, that's because she's not the target audience for our marketing. <laughs> so I'm reliably informed that in the clever ways that marketeers do these days, and you, I'm sure, know all about this, you know, um, we're not necessarily the target audience for some of the marketing, but there's lots of social media stuff. Um, uh, if you look on the News Shopper website or any of the local things, you'll find links through to us. Um, or you can ring us um, and um, I'll probably ask Sarah to give you the phone number that just because I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, ring us or contact us through social media or through the website and uh, we can take it from there. But there's a lot of information on all of those channels anyway. So a lot of people can, you know, get what they need from that as well. Thank Fantastic. You. I've only got one question left. Uh, Terzi, have you no, no. Um, go ahead. Right, here's my, my question. <clears throat> Not okay. in this show, but the, in the um, general show that follows next week. 
uh, I'm going to have a look through your syllabus and work out that if I was 16, 18, <laughs> what course I would choose to do. Okay, and I'm going to ask these okay. students to do um, If you were 16 or 18 or whatever the starting age is, what would you choose, Sam? Um, Sam. <laughs> Sam, thank you. What, what would you choose, Sam? Yeah. So um, if I was um, that not hairdressing, age, yeah, yeah um, I would choose a skill that gave me independence in life. And so all my career and all my life, although I obviously had, had skills and I became a person who worked in organization, I'd choose a skill um, that would that would make me uh, more independent and more self-sufficient. When I was at school, I wasn't allowed to do typing because I was quite academic and my school said, you know it's a CSE you're doing GCSEs and I, I regret to this day the fact that I can't I've still got two finger typing and I think I wish I'd had that skill and similarly I do look at um, you know very successful people with manual skills hairdressing skills motor vehicle skills electrical skills who are running their own businesses and employing people there's a wonderful lady who's joined our governing body and she's a former student of the college she was an accountancy student an AAT student at Orpington and I picked her up on LinkedIn because she'd won the Businesswoman of the Year and within 10 years of getting her AAT level four she now has four an accountancy practice of four or five offices in Kent and employs about 60 people and I just mm -hmm. think wow I wish I had a skill that could have that I could have run my own business through so I'm not sure what that skill would have been but it would be something that gave me the confidence to go and run, run my own business perhaps rather than working somebody else not that I haven't loved my career I have but I do have a bit of career envy when I look at those people who've who've done that and actually built their own organisation. Amazing. Yeah, um, I, I really appreciate speaking to you today. It's really nice. Yes, and, um, absolutely. It's yeah. been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed yeah. it too. Yeah.